a nasty concept would be like body ants that are, that go on a trail into your stomach. They get pieces of food like that, like maybe they need slight, they need it slightly digested or something. Like they go on your body and then they come out and back into the world down a trail, just continually coming in and going in and out of your body, and you can't really stop it. <laughs> um, here I am. Here I am. It's really weird because I'm not really speaking to you in front of me, but I have to think of you in front of me because if I don't, then I won't be able to speak to you. How you doing? French Quarter. This is exciting. I've, I've never been here uh, except, well, I was here one time for about three hours uh, in 2002, so that was like 11 years ago. Uh, we stopped through here on a tour in between two places, but I've never played here, and I'm expecting that it will be wild. It'll be wild and rowdy, some sort of Wild West kind of feeling, um, but with that you know, French Creole influence. Uh, it looks like, it looks a little bit like Europe, like shabby Europe, uh, but in a, in a really good way. It's colorful, or like pictures of like Haiti or, or uh, something like that, or like Central America or something like that. It's colorful, it's beautiful. There's people playing on the corners like, uh, like, like you hear about, like you see in the, in the show Treme. Anyway, I'm looking forward to the show tonight. I do, I do expect, like I said, some love knife situations. Lots of drinking, I'm sure. There's going to be lots and lots and lots of drinking. Drunk dudes trying to get up in my mix. Not get up in my mix like my booty hole, but like more like all up on me talking about, dude, and this and that. Nice hotel, 20th floor. You know, you can always tell your status by how how high they let you go in the hotel. I came looking fairly presentable, you know, stood up straight, been doing the yoga posture and all that, using the deep voice. Hello, good e- good afternoon, ma'am. I'm just checking in. 
I'd like a, I'd like an updated room, a recently updated room, if that's possible, if that's available for, to me. And uh, she did. She said, oh, well, we have something on the 20th floor, sir. Uh, uh, okay, that'll suffice, and that's the, that's the top floor. So you never let them know you're satisfied. You're always just, uh, you're underwhelmed, but, but uh, you're, you'll take what you can get, you know? Also, I, you know, I've been getting refrigerators every day. I've been requesting refrigerators because I, I cook uh, every several cities. Uh, you know, I'm on this diet, strict diet, and I, I, I cook. So uh, I'll, I'll put things in, in leftover containers and, and need a refrigerator to keep those things uh, in the next town. And I, I don't know, and I haven't done it yet, and maybe I'm a schmuck, but I haven't tipped the person that's brought their fridge yet. If I can get some feedback on that, maybe some hotel employees. When do you tip in a hotel? And these are, these are not five-star hotels. These are three-star hotels, okay? This is the Wyndham, um, not the fucking, you know, I don't know. what the, I've never even been to a really fancy hotel. But I have, but when do you tip? You know, he did, he did schlep that thing up here, but to be fair, he's like four times my size. And a, and a man that's, that was born... You know, with that sort of girth and that sort of altitude, I, I feel like that's just a part of what their identity is going to be. They're going to be schlepping shit because it's just much easier for them than it is for the rest of us to carry shit around. So it's like, do I, is, is that special treatment? You know, if I'm like, oh, well, you know, here's a dollar, you know, do I, then should I be giving the dollar to the smaller guy that just stands out there and says, you know, sir, you know, can I carry your clutch or whatever? And I'm like, no, I got it. And it's not a clutch. It's a fucking fanny pack. Anyway, enough about my ass. This, this show is a, a glorious, momentous occasion. Stephanie Micus is joining me, uh, who's a young stand-up. And I met her on Twitter, okay? I got... I followed her i think my friend amy miller either told me to follow her or she retweeted her and i thought it was really funny stuff i googled her to see what she does in real life um and if i could find some comedy or whatever and i found this uh page that was like uh talking about how she's got crohn's and she was needing some help uh paying for this surgery that she had to get and i have crohn's so I, I hit her up on Facebook. Tell me a little bit about Crohn's. What do I need to do? Because at the time, I was thinking, I wanted this surgery. I wanted to get uh, my, my uh, colon resectioned or whatever they call it. I wanted to get to cut out my ulcer. And I had talked to my doctor, and he's like, nah, you know, you can't do it. Because basically, if it comes back, you got to cut it out again and again and again. You only got so much intestine to cut out before... You basically have to connect your mouth to your asshole. <laughs> and you just, uh. So I hit her up and just sort of asked her advice, and she sent me a lot of advice. Anyway, we went back and forth about, about that for a while. And then I asked her if she wanted to talk on the podcast. She seemed like a real interesting person. She had had some, tra- some recent tragedies happen. She'll, you'll see she talks about that. Just uh, a good person to talk to. Very interesting. I met her down there. She very, very emotional individual. Funny, like one of these people that's like that's like super emotional and like uh, dramatic almost. Like everything's intense, you know. I mean, to be fair, she's gone through some shit, so she has a right to be somewhat dramatic. But uh, 
you know, when you actually talk to her, it, it, she also doesn't take life too seriously. So she's got some, you know, has been dealing with hard stuff, but still doesn't take life too seriously somehow. I think you'll like her. I like her. Stephanie Micus. Place is great. This Your is my friends favorite. from, oh, from, you know, from music or? Uh, yeah, through music, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got, he's got, he's one of these guys that has like a nice crisp style. I actually based some of the style on my house on, on how his, just, just the white and wood and I don't know. And you live in Michigan? Ohio. Somewhere. Ohio. Yeah. Okay. We're in Ohio. Oh, yeah, Cincinnati. that's right. Cincinnati. One yeah. of my dead boyfriends that's from right. that. That's right. I thought that's where you, like, grew up. I didn't know if that was, like, where you live now. I live there now. I grew up there, and then I, I lived in um, the Bay Area for a while. You mean to help you with that? I put the lid back on. Oh, and it won't come off? It won't come off. So I don't even try more than once, and I immediately hand it to a man. That, I'm not that kind of man. <laughs> I wish I was that kind of man, but apparently I am. Good. Ohio. Yeah, it's... Cool. That's like Cincinnati's where it like gets southern because I know two people that are like from there, like my ex-boyfriend Jason and then like a comedian Ryan Singer, and like they both have like southern accents. Yeah. So it's like right. You, yeah, I guess you could call it that. I am. <laughs> yes. in like a. Well, I mean, I, I think of it as a Cincinnati accent. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess I wasn't really. Into I don't that. have a Cincinnati accent. Yeah, you have something else. I have something else. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's really hot, but it's cool. Um, when, when did you move out here? A year ago on Labor Day, so a year ago on Monday. Okay, so you just, you just got here, really? Yeah. Do you feel, like, integrated into this situation here? I feel the most integrated I've ever been in my entire life anywhere. That says something. But that, that, says, so, that says something <laughs> for me. I don't yeah. know if that says something for everybody's yeah. experience, but definitely... My experience, and I think that I exponentially grew as far as actually being integrated, like, connection-wise and just mentally how I feel, exponentially since, like, March or April. Okay. It took me till... I felt like I didn't even... I wanted to be here, but I felt like I had no place until at least January or February. Why why do you think that was? Just, just, Just the settling in period? Um... I mean, I don't really need time to settle into my, to feel myself. Like, I felt myself, but myself when I left Philadelphia was the same self I brought here. You know, that stupid saying, like, wherever you are, there you'll be. So I brought that self, and that self was very introverted and very closed off from everyone, especially with, like, what had happened the last couple years in Philly. So I brought that out here. So I felt like myself. I felt like what I expected it to be like. I didn't expect to have friends. I didn't expect to be, have more than one person to invite a place. I didn't expect to be on stage. I didn't expect anything but feeling like myself, maybe getting healthier by going to Cedars-Sinai Hospital and like having more What happened the last two years? So like three years, so two and a half years ago, I had this like crazy surgery for Crohn's. It was a bowel resection. It was my second one. And it was supposed to just like make my quality of life better uh and it it would have but there was a lot of complications so like they cut they cut parts of your intestines out and then they like staple or sew them back together and they cut the worst parts out they do that a couple times so right after my surgery 
inside my body, all the places where they sewed them back together burst open. Oh, shit. So that was the first problem. So all the septs, like all the bacteria went into my body and like made bubbles called abscesses all around. And then they didn't even realize that. I was just like complaining that I was in a lot of pain and I had a fever, but they thought it was from the pneumonia that I had because I was in surgery too long. So I was intubated and my lungs got wet and then I'm allergic to morphine, which is the only painkiller that doesn't cause like decreased breathing. So I was on Dilaudid. So my bre- they thought it was normal that I was had like infection type symptoms and they thought that I was just bad at tolerating pain, which I knew wasn't the case. So until my actual outside stitches burst open, they didn't know there was an infection. Whoa, so that so why 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 was your body rejecting the Well it can just happen it can so just much. happen sometimes. Like it wasn't like it's not like there was this force in my body that like burst through the intestines so like alien stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like that doesn't happen. It can be like just little leaks. Like, uh-huh. it wasn't like my intestines were disconnected. Yeah. They didn't have to, like, reconnect them. It's just things were, like, leaking. They see... They, they and see to them, the, anything the other than, like, stitches. a microscopic thing is a mess up. Right. So, they didn't realize until I burst open on the bed. Like, I was in the bed, and I literally called my mom and was like, uh, uh, and, like, my sutures were opened, and it hurt so much that then they just, like, put me in a ketamine-induced coma. This is at the hospital or at home? This is at a hospital. Yeah. I never made it. You never made it at home. Okay. And then I was in the hospital for, like, another month. Jeez. You're only <laughs> supposed to be, like, five days. Not surgery, even. Like, right? three yeah. days. It's yeah. not a bad surgery. I mean, it's not a bad surgery. I don't think it's that bad. I willingly did it. Like, that was I, your second one? It was my second one. The first one went fine? I was, it was tits. It was great. I, I was 14. It went, the surgery went well. It didn't help me because I spent the next 10 years being sick. But the, What, the ulcers just came right back? They do. They come, not only do they come back, but like surgery makes it, that makes them come back quicker. They know that you cut something out and they come back with like a vengeance. And they know this now. That's why surgery is the last result. They only cut it out if it's not just ulcers. They cut it out if you have stenosis and hardening scar tissue that's right. just irreparable with medicine. I have that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I was in a coma for like, a, a, not a, it's like a drug induced, like inability. You don't, like you're not supposed to get up and you don't for like a full week. And then I was in the hospital for like three more weeks and I just like lost 45 pounds and had a drain in my side and didn't, didn't move, didn't walk. Like they weren't on top of their game with like sending physical therapists in. So I literally just like wasted away yeah. and it was like a, so it was a much harder uphill battle when I got out of the hospital. Yeah. And then the surgery cut out certain portions of my intestines that just would have given me an uphill battle anyway. Like the part that gives you vitamin B12 and the part that keeps your colon separate from your small intestine and keeps the bacteria away. And the part that like, like it was it was terrible, so I like moved back home with my mom. Were they? I mean, did, do you think they just foolishly went? Like, were they, was it a problem on the on the surgeon's part? Well, for a while, like we thought that because, we, and we were gonna like sue, but it was like a Tuesday, and we signed a thing that said it was like intern day or something. Like it was really? not intern, but like it was like residence. I don't know. Yeah. So we and those are the risks of the surgeries. The risk of any surgery. So. Yeah. No, I mean, we didn't have... They didn't leave, like, a scalpel inside me yet. You right. really have no recourse in, right. American, in probably any medicine. Yeah. So. But you want the best motherfucker going into that Well, that's the thing. That's why we were going to sue, because I did. You meet with your surgeon in advance, and you get, like, a five-minute meeting. They don't even have chairs in the room for yeah. him, because he doesn't want to sit. He stands at a working desk, and he's like... But he's the best surgeon, and I, and I went... I changed hospitals, and I found him. In, in Philadelphia, they have great hospitals. And then he did not... He scrubbed in... Never touched me for so he could bill the surgery. 
and then he left and let the intern do everything. And my doctor, I... How do you know this? Because it's public. They, you ask... You, I mean, most people would be like, how do you know that? You ask for the reports. You ask for everything. Everything has they to be the like... They got camera. Like, yeah, everything has to be in and you have to get it and stuff. And I remember... I woke up from surgery and they were like talking about it and I woke up from what went wrong and I remember my GI doc yelling on the phone with my surgeon in the hospital saying like I didn't send you to her so you could have an intern do that like right. literally like and they were right. like oh we never said that and I was like no you did like yeah. it was kind of crazy so I lived with my mom for six months had a nurse come every day to like unpack my wound and pack it because once you burst open you can't restitch you have to let your skin grow up and then over yeah. I was, geez, like, really Louise. screwed up, and I had to, like, I saw Sopranos. So, so I had to, I like, know. learn to do everything again. Like, I couldn't even, like, sit up without like, getting exhausted. My mom had to, like, walk into my bedroom and put a sign on the door every day that was, like, day one, you can do it. The rule was, like, you have to shower every third day. And, like, I would just take off my clothes and get in the shower, and I would just bawl hysterically. So the you rule had was, to, like... You could get up, though, and... After, like, yeah, after the month in the hospital. And the rule was, like, okay, shower. I'm sorry, this is when you, once you got home. Yeah, once I got home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was just, like, really. And then even when I finally moved back to Philly, it was, like, I had, I literally hadn't left my mom's house in, like, months. And that's Lancaster? Or it's Allentown. She, Allentown. she lived in Allentown at the time. Okay. Yeah. I didn't leave the house. So by the time I moved back to Philly, that was the first time I'd spoken to anybody except for a nurse or my mom. So I had, like, no social skills and no, like... I was I weighed like eighty five pounds. I weigh one hundred and forty. Literally, pounds. yeah. Oh my god. I know it's really fucked up. That's totally messed up. So that changed my personality a lot. Like it changed my social personality. It changed my like. It changed like my idea of like myself as a woman. Like my body. It changed a lot of stuff that I used to be cool with. And From what me- to what. And get to be, like, a complete introvert. Like, I was, like, pretty happy and pretty cool with, like, talking to people or, like, dating people or, like, having casual sex. And then, like, after, I was, like, this little turtle that was, like, can't talk to people, can't trust people. No one can ever see me. It was terrible. It changed my personality. The only thing it didn't change was my drug use. It just increased that. What what kind of drugs? Uh, well, I did drugs <laughs> since I was 14. Like, hardcore drugs? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I... I mean, it was it w- was a lot of experimentation with hardcore drugs, but it was on a daily basis, popping any pill I could get my hands on. Like I always had a million and one prescriptions from for, for pain for pills. GI stuff. Yeah, but not legal. I mean, just prescription drugs. Like I always had enough oxycodone and enough dilated and enough stuff that was mine. And then I from would, your ex surgeries. Yeah, stuff, from or? from a lot of. I mean, just. And then I, then I was friends with a, it was the pill popping culture. Yeah, yeah. I was friends with a lot of people, so it was Pill City for the last two years of college and the like four years after college. And the surgery just made it worse because I like at one point and at some points like really needed it, and a normal person would have used them anyway. And it just made them so bad that it just got crazy. It got so bad. I put myself in such dangerous situations. I was Did just... Did you overuse them, you mean, you're saying? Yeah. Like double down? Yeah, I mean, it was just bad. Like, it... I got... Yeah, I got myself into a lot of precarious situations and then had to... Made a decision. I, like, needed to move home because I couldn't work anymore. Everything hurt too much and I was doing too much drugs. And I asked my mom if I could. And she said, yeah, if you stop using. And so... Like, she was well aware. You took. Oh god, yeah, my mom was well because aware. Because when you had been living with her, you'd be on shit. Yeah. Would she like stamp out of it or what? Well, she knew. She knew that 
I'm good at hiding things. So she knew that I was on what I was supposed to be on, but I'm sure on some level she knew that I was on drugs for the last 10 years. But she, I'm thinking about my mom and me after surgeries I've had, and, and I don't know how you, what your relationship is, but I can see that maybe she was, like... She didn't want to like say no because she knew you needed. I mean, some yeah, she's a. Oh, she she's a. You know. I love. She's an angel. I love her. She's one of my closest friends. She's a hell of an enabler. Yeah. Um. She she's enabled she, me for a long time. She wants you to be happy. She's a very big enabler, but um, she finally was like, put her foot down and was like, yeah, if you stop using, you can come home. And I needed to. So on Thanksgiving, a couple days before Thanksgiving, I moved home, and I. Um, went to therapy and I went to like drug treatment things and hypnotherapy and got myself weaned off, stopped using on Thanksgiving and then stayed home for 30 days until right after Christmas and then moved back to Philly after I was sober. Clean and sober. And I've been clean and sober for two years on Thanksgiving, so. Ever since? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How's that going? Um, I will never drink or use drugs again. I won't do it. Um, but it's hard, really hard. I struggle with it in a lot of ways. I struggle with, I just want to do it a lot. <laughs> like it, I, there's, I don't want to say there's not a day that goes by that I don't want to, but I want to a lot. Yeah. I want to escape. If I get sad, I want to be by myself and use drugs. If I'm in pain, I want to use them like a normal person would. Yeah. I'm at a party. I want to have a drink. So you, you can't like... What if you what if you end up having another surgery at some point? What did you do? I So that's the thing. My mom and I have discussed that too. I I don't know how I feel about the actual the term like addict, like whether or not you were addicted. I'm sorry, hold it. Let me <laughs> let, me, let me close the toilet cuz the cat I feel like Okay, no. No, she's She's fine. There's probably a water bowl here that people don't shit in. Cat Maybe. Anyways. I mean, I don't know what people in this household do. You never know. He just had house guests, too. He was at, when I told him you were coming over here. When you told the cat I was coming no, over here. Not my friend Sean, he's oh. like, oh, no, I didn't clean. I oh, I love So he was upset like that. that he didn't clean for me, too, but he, he just had these, like, two of the crustiest dudes in our in our crew. No offense, guys. <laughs> Staying here last night, and oh. I know one of them listens to my podcast. I'm really excited about Sorry, this, this because I, my boyfriend bought me for starter records and my mom bought me a turntable for my birthday so I'm really excited I hate that I'm the person I always said like I'll never listen to vinyl like yeah but I it's not because I think it's better quality or because I want to be cool it's because I've been trying to learn to relax and so for Christmas she bought me a radio so I would just listen to like NPR but even that could be live and connected to the world so it didn't I don't want my computer I don't want my TV I don't want anything that has like you're trying to discover I wanna, music. I want to dis- disconnect, yeah. so I want to put a record on. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to try to do. That's what music is. That's what people do with music. Yeah. I think I told you I hated music. You said that, yeah. <laughs> um, I started in music. I started, oh, okay. yeah. So I sing. Song and, and dance I, kind of deal? Like a, well, I mean, every, not everyone. You strike uh, me as a musical theater. Like everyone, yeah. Everyone in my high school did musical theater, and I did it in college too. But then in college and after college, I'd do like open mics and sing covers, and I had a, a good friend, and we would record all these, so we'd, on Sunday mornings, we'd do like, we'd record all these things and post them online, and so I used to love music. I used to go to shows every night, just like I do with comedy now, but I like had a personality shift and was like I can't believe people thought music was important 
why why did music suddenly seem trivial to you? I don't I don't know. I mean, I was using music to be my everything. Like if I was upset, all I knew how to do was listen to what someone already made. And I wasn't talented enough to make music, so I had no outlet but to, like, listen to music or, like, post or reflect on the words that people had written. I couldn't pick up a guitar myself. Right. I So I had no outlet, and the only thing I knew how to do was write correctly. So I was like, oh, I could just write. I could just be funny. Right. And also, I had a shift from being way dramatic-y and emo-y, like, cutting myself in college and listening to, like, stuff like that, to being like a jokester like I would just make everything funny immediately right but it's the the, the hurt comes from the same source it does it's, it's oh it's the yeah. same yeah yeah, yeah. but just, I think I think using humor is, is is much well I like that better even though I'm a musician yeah but I use humor too for with it yeah if I was a musician if I knew how to play stuff that'd be so great yeah. I mean, I'd probably do musical comedy like tomorrow but right. I I don't know how to play I don't I can't really read music I uh, I can't either. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. But so comedy felt like it, it it took over for you. It did. Yeah, it did. Um and how did that happen? How did you fall into that? What did you like were, had you been like watching other people's comedy? So this is where I think it started. And then I was informed that it started like when I was 2. But I think it started like 2 years ago. I was living in Philadelphia was sober, didn't have any friends left that I could actually talk to. They, were, burned, they were good for me. Bridges. They weren't good for me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I met, I went to a sh- an improv show with my then boyfriend, long distance boyfriend, who was a musician, who just happened to be. How many boyfriends have you had? Are you, are you like a. People that I've called boyfriends? Yeah, I mean, not. Like five. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I've only called Seems five. Seems like there's always a new one that I'm trying to. Hey, now. <laughs> no, I've only called five people, my okay, boyfriend. Okay. Um, good. Uh, yeah, so I was with him at this improv show, and it was a really great improv show, and it was a big team with him on it against this other guy, Aaron Herzog, and his and ex- that's what he, I'm sorry, so that's what he did, though, he, that, and you knew that when you got together with him? He was a musician. Okay, He okay. happened to do improv. Okay. Like, okay. a lot of people pick up improv. Right, right, like, I see, like, people who will take a class at UCLA yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did that in Philadelphia, and I met the guy on the other team, Aaron Herzog, and we became, like, instant best friends. And he, I didn't know he existed. He went to Temple. He lived in Philly. He was a great stand-up comedian already. He'd been doing it for, like, four or five years. He did improv. He wrote great sketches. He was on a sketch team. He hosted shows. He ran the website, like, Witstream for all of Philadelphia. We became, like, instant best friends. We went to, like... Every a show every week. He was that every dude. night. Like he was that dude yeah. in the comics. Every so. night of every week, we go to a show together, and we would like talk about what we wanted to do. And I had been totally silent about my writing. Like I don't think anyone knew I wrote. Had, you had been writing before you before you met him, and before, like yeah, I wrote like I practiced. I tried to get a voice. I practiced serious writing. Like I would write pieces about politics. I'd write because I went to college. I went, majored in politics. I'd write pieces about healthcare. I'd write pieces about my disease. I was writing a memoir already, and uh, I, my only exposure to comedy before that was my good friend from high school, Joey, was a stand up comedian, and every weekend in college or a couple weekends, I'd go to New York and see him do stand-up. But, uh, so now it was, like, real and in my life. And Aaron and I 
became fast friends for the entire summer. And I started to like, just admire these people and just think it was insane. I never thought I could do it, but I was like, maybe I can go somewhere else with my writing because I saw a bunch of people that weren't just doing stage performances that were like just writing stuff. And I saw how much, how many possibilities there were. You, I mean, so when you first started seeing stand up and stuff, did, did you have an instant thing in your head in a way that was like, huh, maybe I could do that? Like, uh, I didn't have that till I moved to LA. Okay. Okay. But I knew I wanted to be around these people and I knew I wanted to, you were attracted to it. I was so, I so was attracted to it. And then to the point where Aaron and I became so close, we, and I had wanted to get out of Philly so bad that we decided to move to LA together. Okay. Yeah. Were you seeing Aaron at the time? It was I, like... No, Aaron and I have never... Okay, Never okay, okay. dated. Just yeah. as, as friends. And you it, had you... You had already broken it off with this the other guy. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> like, almost know. immediately. Okay. He also lives in LA. Okay. And he's an actor now. But, okay. Yeah. So... Oh, that's nice. Let's let that... It's time to oh, go... Oh, I thought that was a bell outside. I was like, let that roll. <laughs> no, it's time to go to church. Oh. Uh, that was her phone. That was my alarm to, in case I didn't wake up from the from my sleep before this like two thirty podcast. Two thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> Just in case. Damn. <laughs> um, I woke up at four o'clock this Whatever. morning. Whatever. Um, you, you mentioned this writing that you had been doing, and are you still doing that sort of writing? Political writing, memoir writing, essays, stuff like that? I am. I, I Serious am. work? Yeah, I am. I'm trying to finish my book. Okay. Uh, I'm really excited about the possibility of finishing it, and I want to, I want to write about comedy, too. I just want to write, like, I want to just be able to write, like, short informational pieces, like a journalist, you know? Like, yeah. I, yeah, I, I like writing. It's so easy for me to do. Someone's like, can you just write this up? Like, writing something up, PR stuff. So easy for me to do. Monologue packets are so easy. Everything's, like, What's just... a monologue packet? Oh, like, if you want to get a staff job for, like, a late night show, they're like, do two pages of topical jokes that Jay Leno could recite. I see. Yeah, I just really like writing. It's... Would you want to write for, like, a comedy shows and things like that, too? My ideal job would be, like, writing for a late-night show awesome. that did, like, topical stuff and did sketches. And then, like, my second biggest dream... The only reason it's my second is because I don't think I'm good enough for it would be to, like, staff write on, like, believe a... believe in yourself. Yeah. To staff write for, like, a half-hour comedy. Like, to write for, like... Like a sitcom? Like, Happy Endings or New Girl or, yeah. like, Modern Family or something like that. But... The only way you can get into that is to write spec scripts, which I've done, but it's a lot harder for me because you have to get into the voice of characters that someone else created. Right. And maybe if it's a show that I've watched every episode of five times, I'm really good at knowing what they'd say, but you literally have to know what they'd say right in their voice. Right. And it's hard if you didn't create that, sure. but that's what you, any staff writer on any existing show has to right. do. Right. And I think that that's. I'm not. There's a, there's definitely a skill in that. It's a lo- it's a lot of skill. I'm. It's easier for me to write like a pilot. Right. So, have you written a TV pilot ever? Uh, I'm in the middle of writing a TV pilot. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the concept? If you might say, if you can't say, you don't have. To. Uh, it's just it's a it's a male character that deals with his just he has like a lot of dysfunctions that I have and that my writing partner has. So he like binge eats and he but it's like. 
we're not exactly sure where it's going. Like if he's going to be talking to his therapist in an office about it, or if he just tries to handle it on his own, but it's kind of like dark. I like that. Yeah. Sounds good. I can relate. relate (laughs) Definitely. Someone's Um, coming home. Oh, this is, yes. This is Sean. This is Stephanie. Hi. Are you recording right now? Yeah. That's all right. Sorry. No, it's all good. Hi. Hi. This is way too warm. She brought me a coconut, though. You want No. <laughs> try that. Just taste it compared to the, what we, we just had. Coconut water, like in those, like... Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. So we were at sort of, like, when you moved here with Aaron. Yeah. Um, what was the impetus initially to do that? Just because, like, you wanted to get out of where you were at or what? Yeah, I wanted to get away. I was in Philly for five years after college, and... I wasn't happy anymore. I was sober and I couldn't hang out with any of the people. I'd lived in a house with all med students and they became doctors and moved away. I I had no, my grandfather had passed away. He's like the man that raised me. I had like no reason to stay and I just wanted to get away. And it's very rare that as an almost 30 year old, you can find a platonic friend to want to move across the country with you. And I didn't want to move for a boy ever. So I was like, oh, Why, I just on principle? I didn't... Well, it's harder, first of all. You have to, like, find a boy. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, that cannot work out. You can... It's a lot harder to, like, break up with your best friend. You can have more than yeah. one friend. You can get there and you can start a life together and hang out in groups with yeah, your yeah, best yeah. friend. That's what you're saying. Like, if you're in some insular situation yeah. and it's like you're... All of a sudden, you're both thrown into a survivor situation and it's, it can be straining on that, taxing yeah. on that relationship. Yeah. So I thought I wanted to take the chance and everyone, I mean, I always wanted to move away. I just was the child. I was the sibling in the family that stayed home and took care of things, which is odd because I was like the drug addict of the family as well. But did he initially tap into the comedy scene here? Well, he did. He, cause he was a big comic back in Philly. He was always like a finalist in like Philly's funniest. So he came out here and was so comfortable with his like 10, 15 minutes that he would just mic all the time. Every night he'd mic. Uh, and he... That's had, open mic. I oh, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd grind a mic. Like, you'd go to, like, a mic or two a night. I love the... Li- grind the mic. I like yeah. the lingo. Yeah, so it's only time to get stage time if no one... if Where you came up. Unless you did, like, Just for Laughs and was, like, a new face. Or you just did a festival. Or you got named Variety's Top 10 Comics to Watch. Wherever you come up for five or six years and then you move to L.A., if there's not a big buzz about you, you're going to have to mic again. And it's hard on your morale. Uh-huh. But the better you are, the sooner someone will see you. And he knew that was the case coming from there. He had mic what, for what, five years? Yeah, he in did. In Philly? Well, he, he didn't have to mic after a year in Philly. Okay. In a smaller place, you mic and then you become... You headline. But how many shows well, can you, you headline show. in Philly? Like? Well, it's not... It's not In the alt scene, it's not exactly headlining. Like, you just get, like... You do a show a night and you get, like, 10, 12 minutes. When you get really good, you just close a show with 10 minutes. And then if you become really good, you can get into, like, clubs. Like, which we don't... The alt comedy isn't really about. But you can get into the Helium Club or the Improv Club where you headline. Just That's just a name. That just means, like, you but close I'm talking about money, time. I guess. Oh, like, no, you don't make money. <laughs> you don't make money to do comedy when you're coming up. You don't make money to do comedy in L.A. But, uh, but you, Nobody gets paid in L.A. to do comedy. No, I, I... Not even Patton Oswalt gets paid in L.A. to do comedy. Come on, Patton Oswalt gets paid. If you do a show in L.A., you do not get paid, really? no matter how good you are. L.A. is, like, practice at comedy, and when you go on the road is when you get paid. Okay, okay. So you have to go on the road if you want to get paid. The people in here are here for the industry. They're here for writing jobs. They're here for TV spots. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, you should. I mean, a lot of people I know, like my boyfriend, when he came up, he did 20 mics a week. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 like that's the thing. It's like you see the same people. I mean, I remember like when when Amy Miller and my sister were starting in, yeah. in Oakland. Love Amy Miller. And and yeah, and and Oakland, San Francisco. Like I went, I went to the first few that they did. You know. Yeah. And like it was always the same people. You know, I I, have, it, I, it I moved yeah. shortly after, but it was like the scene was not that big, so it would be like the same. 20 people just like yeah. always getting up you're like oh okay I've seen this person five minutes yeah. and I've seen it again it's like, for practice for the yeah. comic because you can it's the only thing you can only practice on stage you don't get better unless you get on stage right. that's where I you can't hang I don't I, I can probably hang but I don't want to I don't want to do that to myself I knew after the first time I got up the first time I got up was a book show I didn't even have I didn't even do a mic I was lucky enough to just have someone book me for a 12 minute set how did that happen? They saw my Twitter. Okay, okay. And they were like, you have a voice. Do you want to do some stuff? And I was like, I do, but you, I'm not a comedian. Like, and he's like, you are, though. And I was like, no, 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 like, I'm not. And he was like, okay, but you are. And he was, like, encouraging me. He's like, just because you've never gotten up doesn't mean you can't do it. You're a better writer than people I know. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then in between that and the booked date, my boyfriend died. And then I was like, oh, I have to cancel the show, obviously. And he's like, you don't have to if you don't want to. And I was like, that's, I don't know if that's how that works. And so I struggled for a couple of weeks and then was like, okay. So I got rid of all my canned material and I wrote a set about my dead boyfriend. Is anybody here with their uh, boyfriend or girlfriend tonight? Is anybody here? That's really great, guys. Isn't it so amazing? My boyfriend wanted to be here tonight to support me, but he couldn't because he's dead. Uh, and I actually, I thought about bringing him. I thought I'd, but I thought maybe it might make you uncomfortable if his urn was up on stage. Uh, yeah, it's actually, it's been, it's been a little rough. Um, I miss him a lot, you know? And I think about, you know, what would I do if I had one more night with him? What would I say to him? So my fantasy is, you know, we're lying in bed and we're spooning. And I'm the big spoon because it's my fantasy. And I hold him really, really tight, you know. And I pull myself up to his ear and I whisper, you still owe me $200 for a vacation. It went really well. I don't know why it went well. I feel, I felt good about it just because it was cathartic. You, you mentioned that your boyfriend passed. Do you want to say... Uh, talk about that at all or sure we were it's a crazy story so we were seeing each other for three weeks and then we finally decided to be boyfriend girlfriend on this vacation we went on yeah we were like had we were like crazy about each other really quickly and this is fairly recently am i right yeah i was we were head over heels for each other really quickly so we like i had a couple days off we went to mexico and san diego and uh we decided okay we'll be boyfriend girlfriend we'll tell people when we get back from Port, when you get back from Portland, he went right up to Portland with my one of my best friends Chuck and a bunch of his friends, and they were hiking and jumping into like lakes and stuff with waterfalls. And he went over a waterfall, and they were treading water for a while, and he couldn't, and he just it was too cold, and he tried to get up on a rock, and he couldn't, and he drowned. And the divers recovered him the next morning. And a lot of my friends were right there, and yeah. he was 25, and he was like, honestly, even if we wouldn't have lasted or been together, he was like one of the best people I've ever met. Like, he just was one of those people that you'd eulogize as saying, he loved life. Like, no one would say that about me. Like, I know that. Right, right. Like, he really was one of those people that yeah. like, was such a good person that uh-huh. like it's 
fucking sucks. So sad. Yeah. So hard that no matter what, I wouldn't. I want him to be alive for like his friends. I'd want him to be alive, kind of for me. But I didn't. It was so new that it was this weird fucking thing where like everyone didn't know how to treat me and I didn't know what to do. And yeah, that's it. That sucks so bad. Yeah, it sucks so bad. It's an awful situation. Yeah, and 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 a strange position to be in for you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I almost wish we wouldn't have been dating. That we would have just been friends, so right, I could be in the right. same boat as all of those people that I know. Right. But I also am glad we dated because you got to know. I, him I got to know him better. Yeah. In a shorter period of time, because when you are romantic with someone, it helps you open up. But also, it's so, the only person that I'd ever died was my grandfather. Yeah. Which was hard because it was he was less of a grandfather. He was more of a father. And so that was really hard. But at least he was, like, 86 and sick. Right. This was, like, the guy I was, like, sleeping with. Like, yeah. I had no... And he just, like, doesn't exist anymore. It's yeah. the hardest thing to process. And that was only a couple months ago, right? Yeah. It was, like, the hardest thing to process. I'm sure. I didn't even know how to handle it. It was... Yeah. I mean, you're probably still dealing with... Oh, yeah. No, I am. Yeah, because I still have to deal with his father, who lives in Cincinnati, who's torn about it, and doesn't know... You know, because when you move away from home, you don't have that great of a relationship with your parents, they don't really know what you're doing, so all his dad knows is, like, I was the girlfriend. Doesn't know for how long, doesn't know what was up. And I don't have the heart to, like, tell him. Because I love his son now, past... Like, after his death, I know that, like, I love him as a person. So I'm on board with whatever anyone needs from me. But it's a really hard position. What it, like? It, what's your relationship with his father? Like, what, what he calls me and is upset a lot, and yeah. I and I I'm strong enough to handle other people's emotions well, so I let him be upset. Yeah. But yeah, it's just hard. Yeah, it's hard to see his friends that were just his friends, and that's the only reason I knew them. Yeah, and it's hard to date someone else. It's everything's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to when you started g- doing open mics, I guess, just or like that for after that first one. So I started writing jokes last September. So a year ago, I started writing jokes. I got a Twitter account. I started tweeting one-liners. Started. Would you write them ahead of time, or you just when you think and when you? Oh, tweet I just it? write them on the spot. I write yeah, all yeah, my yeah. stuff on the spot, and a lot of it is has something to do with something that had just happened like a second before. Right. But everything's written on the spot and a lot of it is personal, but I would never post anything that wasn't a joke. Like if something personally happened, that could be the first part of the joke, but the end part has to be a well-constructed joke. Like I'm not a girl that just has a Twitter. Right. So it was always well-constructed jokes and a lot of it has become almost like satire. Like some of my jokes are clearly, that's not what I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's become like you're, a cool you're becoming bit. a character. Yeah, it's become like it's yeah, it's an absurdist thing that is not how I feel as a woman or how I feel as a person. Right. And it's me saying it as a character. Right. I, I have the same. And thing I have multiple characters. I have the absurdist character that speaks in all caps and just says ridiculous things. And then I have like a really girly, a mess, slutty character that right. is an over exaggeration of myself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's so helpful. It's the only way I survive as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I love your Twitter. It's, I mean, that's what got me interested in you. Yeah. yeah. So I've been writing jokes for a full year now, and uh, I knew I wanted to get on stage probably like five months ago. I would just I go to a sh- I go to a show or two a night every night for a year. I've been going to a show, 
And I don't just like go to shows and sit in the audience. All of my friends are comedians and all of my boyfriends have been comedians. So I go to a show because one of my best friends is on it. One of my best friends is hosting it. So there's some reason I yeah. go. Yeah. So not, I not only got to see the performers, but I got to talk to everybody and I just like got to be around it. And I got to see what people that had already been doing what I was doing were doing. So when, when, when Aaron got integrated into the scene, you just, you went with him and you just met everybody and you started. Yeah. Yeah. And I just kept doing what I thought I was good at, which was just writing. And that was all I really had. I never, until Rock booked me on that show, I never wanted, I would never call my, I still wouldn't, but I would never call myself a comedian. I would never have gotten up on stage if Rock didn't book me for that show. I wouldn't have done it. And then when I finished it, I felt really good. But my best friend Emily was like, if you don't have to do stand-up, you shouldn't. So see how you feel after you get up. Why did she say that? It's such a hard... Nobody... It's You have to be a comedian to do it. It's not fun. It sucks for a lot of years. Unless yeah. you need to do it every day to breathe, you shouldn't do it. Right. So I didn't... How does she know? She's 18, though. But what, what? How did she... She's a... I mean, she's a, she's already a comedian. But she's freaking hilarious. Yeah. She's already I mean, a comedian. But but do, does she do... She does stand-up as well? She does. She does it... She gets up at mics okay, okay. She, all the time. And she yeah. gets... Um, and plus, all of my friends are... I don't know... Literally, I barely know a person that's not a comedian yeah. in L.A. So I was like, okay, I have such respect for what they do that if I didn't think I had to do it, I feel like it would be so insulting if I did it or if I called myself a comedian. Right. So I won't do any of those things. So after the show, I was like, okay, I don't feel like I have to do this. I could live without this. So it became about, okay, what do you want from this? And all I knew I wanted from it was I'm paralyzed by fear to get up on stage. I have panic attacks about it. Right. I can't eat before shows. I throw up. I want to get over that because I have confidence in my writing and what if the best way to showcase it sometimes was to do different types of shows what if I wrote a sketch and the best way to show it was to be in it right what if I wrote a one-woman show and the best way was to be in it what if someone asked me to do a podcast and the, like I wanted to conquer my fear so I thought there were ways in which I could do that without grinding mics and being like hey I'm one of you and right. insulting people because I'm not one of them exactly yeah, but no, none of them feel like one of them. That's that's the whole thing about I, what they do know. is that it's an out. You, you feel yeah. like an outsider, and so you have to you have a, you have a separate perspective, you know. So you get yeah. up and you want to sort. of... I just don't want to give people listening or anyone in my life the false impression that I think I'm a comedian. I think I write and I write jokes, and sure. I'm trying to get up. So the next time I got up, I went to a mic to and I was I wrote a set and I got all excited and it was a lottery mic and I stood, I waited for two hours thinking every time the name was yeah. John, I didn't get up. Yeah. So I tried that and then I waited a, a next week. I got a booked slot on a mic and I did one liners. I did one liners I had written in the last month that I wanted to try to Tweet, see. Tweets or like, um, they were expanded tweets, but they were like, they were one liners and I was going to deliver them deadpan dry yeah. with the cadence that I, yeah. so I tried that and I, it didn't, I mean, it didn't go over as well as that book show where I showed my personality, but yeah. it didn't bomb. They were yeah. jokes. I mean, yeah. but I felt terrible. I was like, I didn't tell the audience anything about myself. I just did my jokes. So I was like, I'm not a one. I'm not going to do that again. So I stopped right. doing that. And then I waited a couple of weeks till I wrote another set that I felt comfortable. And then I went to another mic and I got up and did that set. And I was like, okay, that made me feel better. So I'm just in the process of learning what makes me feel good and then if I find something that makes me feel good to the point where I gotta do it every night then I'll do it but I kind of feel like a little bit of a 
So, so yeah. you're still you're not counting yourself out from from actually standing up there, but you feel like someone's going to call you out and say, "No, you're not supposed to be doing this." I think some part of you feels that way. I just I feel like I'm an, I'm calling myself out. I'm saying yeah. until you know you want to do it, don't insult these but people. That's, but that's a preemptive yeah. strike on yourself. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, but you're still, but you still want to dabble in it anyway. Yeah. And you, so you're trying to find what voice actually feels right for you. Yeah. So I have a set now that makes me feel pretty good. It's about, it's mostly about, it's about me being a nanny, which feels really honest. Yeah. And it's about me being a mess when it comes to dating. And that's really honest. So I feel like it's, it's a few one-liners couched inside a revealing set so I feel really comfortable with it so I'm excited about it and I want to see how people respond like I have a show a book slotted a mic on Tuesday and I want to see how it works and so I'm struggling with that but the saving grace is I can I've been writing more just on my own I've been writing long the memoir form. stuff yeah I've been writing long form more I've been writing blackout sketches like one page sketches I've been writing packets I've been submitting for late night shows and I also got picked up to be on a network to start a podcast that I've recorded six episodes of, and it launches next week. Does it have a concept? Uh, the con- it's called Too Soon. Okay. And the concept is the line between comedy and tragedy is when it's a personal tragedy, is there anything is too soon a thing? So it's all people that have experienced something like I've experienced and uh-huh. them talking. Most of them are comedians so far, and they're talking about how it felt, how they reacted when they used humor personally when they brought it to the stage and you know so yeah i like it that's cool yeah it's been it's been great how do you get on a podcast network (laughs) i don't have a network Um, i would love that yeah well this guy helps me in la probably but there are a lot of them but this is a startup so my this guy used to write with eric was like hey just so you know this guy neil is like looking for ideas for a small podcast network. He wants like 10 or 12 podcasts. If you wanted to do that, I know you wanted to like speak. I know you don't like the stage. Try it. So I wrote him a pitch for it. And this was the thing I felt passionate about at the time. And he was like, oh, that's great. It's helpful with the technical stuff. And then it's helpful with promotion. Because if I didn't, wasn't on a network, all I would have was like my 3,000 followers. Like Right. That's all I have is whatever people know me through music. Yeah, which is fine, but... Because my followers are amazing and really loyal. But if I tweet something, maybe I tweet it twice a day for a week, 50 people might listen. Not that I'd care. I'd still want to do it, but the hope is that being on a network might help. To get more listeners, yeah. Yeah, and plus it just makes you feel validated. It makes you feel like you're part of a community right. of people that want you to succeed. Like, they want to event- They eventually want to make money. Right. They want to have advertising, and they want to make money, so they're on your team. If, if you find a voice within the stand-up stuff and the live stuff, would that be a route you would want to take to? Of course. Yeah, yeah. If I... If, you're, you're a ham a bit. You're, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> if I... If I I don't even have to feel comfortable on stage. I could have stage fright till the day I die. If I feel like it's something I should do, if it feels like something that anyone thinks is a good idea or anyone respects or anyone responds to, or I suddenly feel at home or that I have to do it, I will do it. 
I will do it every day. All uh, yeah, I will. But you just haven't found. I just haven't found a that voice yet. yet that you feel like. So you're you're the. the no, none of the Twitter voices work for you on stage. Exactly. No, like no, they don't. That, yeah. And it's discouraging. This is why it's hard because everyone I'm friends with and everyone I've dated has already come up, and they're so good, and I respect them so much. And I'm in this place that they were at 10 years ago, and they understand it, but it's not where they're at. Well, every single person I know has a story about how they got up once and then didn't get up for another year. They got up another time, and they ran out the back door, and they didn't get up for two years. Yeah. Every one of them. And I'm in that place, and it's like they understand it. And they're not judging me. But they don't want to go back there. But they don't want to go back there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. here I am trying to date them or trying to be their best friend. And they don't want to go back there. Yeah. And it's so hard. Maybe it's hard for them, but it's hard for me. And because can't, it doesn't, they can't put you on because that's like... Because you have, to, yeah, you you have to pay your dues. Right. And I'm willing to pay my dues, but I don't want to sacrifice having a good life. I've been so, and this is, I mean, I don't know if this is, means I shouldn't, this is why I think maybe I shouldn't be a stand-up comic. Maybe it means that I shouldn't. I've been tortured my whole life, and I am finally happy, the happiest I've ever been through writing and just having friends and dabbling in stuff. Like, I didn't ever have the opportunity to dabble in things. I didn't have a life. I didn't have a personality. I was sick. I was abused. I was everything. And I finally have the ability to have a personality and dabble and try to be happy. And I want to, like go to the beach and I want to go to the park and I want to have a boyfriend and I want to have friends and I want to write and I don't want to torture myself and I don't want to feel alienated. I don't want to. You want to enjoy your life. I want to enjoy my life. And I think if a stand-up comedian heard that, they'd cringe and be like, yeah, I did too, but I didn't and look at me now. That's why I think it's only thing I can do is respectfully say, you're right, you did. I don't have that commitment, and I'm not going to call myself a comedian. So, so that's that's synop- synonymous with torturing yourself, or 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 continuing on with with uh, abuse and illness. That the next, <laughs> like the, the 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 through line, you know, to continues to to stand up comedy. Is that what you're saying? No, I mean because you have to what because you have to use that. Use well, the, if, the pain. I mean, if I loved it so much that I the getting up part, if I loved doing sets every night and it was something that fixed me I would do it but along with being that committed to it it like I mean it like ruins your life sort of that's my experience that I've heard from everyone the first four years of stand-up comedy ruins your life you literally can't have if you're gonna become good at it and you're gonna be respected you have to like ruin your life I'm trying to equate it to you music a, and what you need I a day job that. all day yeah and then you need to do three to four mics at night right that are across town and you need to Maybe I'm letting what people are telling me that they did get to me, but I know every every single person I know is like, oh, if what you if, didn't have to do that and you just got up and got booked on things, yeah. we would hate you. That's literally what I hear all day. But but, but I'm not a golden child that's going to get booked anyway, but... Okay, but, but look, I just talked to a, a music guy about this, too. A, yeah. ra- a rapper who's struggling, he's grinding it out, mm-hmm. um, and... He's like, what the fuck? You know, I wish I could, you know, I feel like jealous every time I'm, you know, somebody else has some success, you know, that comes from where I come from. You know, I, I wish I could be on a label, blah, blah, blah. And he's grinding it out in the exact way that everyone before him has yeah. grounded out. And like, 
why why play by that exact game though you know so like so like yeah why say okay well i want to okay you look at you know marin or 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 whoever and say oh i want to be like that like how exactly did he come up and then you go you know you don't have to go through those steps you're your own person and and there's like you can make make a new kind of game by by you know now with with fucking social media and and like technology like you could yeah you could film a movie with your phone yeah you're right and that's where i'm glad you brought that up that's where i'm like trying to find a middle ground and that's what when i explain myself to people that i have to explain myself briefly that's what i do i say what happened to me on twitter i say that i'm confident in my writer and calling myself a writer my writing calling myself a writer and that i want to explore other ways to do stuff that can be brought to people through other arts. Like I want, I want to be on, I want to create my own sketches and have them filmed and blasted out to people. And I, so I don't have a problem with that. I think that I could be in sketches. I think that I could be on podcasts. I think that I could be on stage in a sketch show on stage, an improv show. If I took classes, the one thing that's hard for me to come to terms with is that I feel like you can't dabble in stand up comedy. I feel like it's not, a respected option when you don't get taken seriously I don't need to be taken seriously I just need to not be hated (laughs) but I just want to be but when all of your friends are stand up comedians it's like I understand that it's like not something you dabble in that's what I'm saying that that, then fuck that shit like (laughs) I'm like I I know I know that's taboo to say that and to say like okay well you know you gotta grind it out blah 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 and and look I, I ground it out in what I do yeah definitely but if I was to start today, I, I, I did it before the internet was like what it is now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I was to start today, I don't think that I would be playing a concert in St. Louis tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, there's there's other ways to go about it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Is that, no, I like what you're saying. Trust me. Yeah, I know you I do, want to do what you're saying. It involves a more... Let di- me do what you're a, saying. A more direct, a di- more direct way to, to get to where you're trying to go yeah. or whatever. Like... I just feel like you would, regardless, you will have to put the work in, but like, I think there's a way to do it that doesn't feel like beating your head against the wall. That's all I'm saying. That's what I want. I just, I want to feel, I don't want to feel like a fraud and I want to feel authentic and I want to. But that, that doesn't necessarily involve flagellation. Yeah. You grew up Catholic. Yeah, I did. I want to feel, yeah, I want. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with the things I do in public a lot. Yeah. Like, it kills me if I can't be my best self to every single person I meet. Right. If I can't be myself to every single person I meet, I want to die in that moment. Like, I don't want to get up on stage and not be myself. I don't want to ever put my name on anything that I'm not proud of. I have. It's like that Ira Glass quote. Like, when you first start out, it's going to murder you because you have such good tastes that's why that's why you want to be that's why you want to do what you do because you have such good taste but your tastes aren't going to match your talent for so long right. and that's love torturous that. that's it's torturous quote. like I'm tortured every day that I step out of my house well that's, that's <laughs> why you know that's why whatever it is that you do you you do grind it out and and I'm only suggesting that maybe you don't grind it out in the way that people think you should grind it out yeah you have to you know when you start doing whatever you're doing there's going to be a period of intense work that is not worth showing anybody you know what i mean yeah and 
or you show it to people like I did when I first started out and it's embarrassing if I was to go back now and look at it but like the idea was to just you know do something and then show people do something show but you know yeah and um you know yeah that's what I want right now I'm just focusing I want to create and like put it out there to the ether and just be like okay and then like and cringe I, like literally the first time the guy I'm seeing read something I wrote I like put my hands over my ears and made noises and he had to listen to my podcast to edit it hands over the ears made noises uh he was we showed up at the same mic and he didn't know I was going to be there and he was like put your name in the bucket I'll go outside when you perform I know I have issues yeah. I get that I'm also not normal yeah, but I understand, I can understand that. Yeah. I can understand that, you know. And I think that the more you, I think it'll come into focus. You just do what you do and then eventually you'll fall into a voice that feels natural. And, and a thing that feels natural, you know what I mean, that is connected to your writing, which is, you keep com- coming back to as pretty much what you love to do, I think. Yeah. Um, and then... I'm, I feel like I'm pep talking you, but yeah. No, I like it. <laughs> I like it. But you know what I'm saying. Eventually, that all if you if you know, and you seem like the type of person that yeah. that um, you know, although you 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 tout yourself as a really lazy slob, I think <laughs> I, I think that you're actually a hard working person. Yeah, no, and, that's not. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it'll things will. That, what I find and what I see with other people is that. It really is just a matter of exploring and, and you find your way eventually somewhere. Or you end up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned childhood stuff. You had a, did you have a rough childhood? I did. Uh, Do you want to talk about that or is that... Briefly, sure. My parents split when I... They split when I was like 11 or 12. They got legally divorced when I was like 14. Uh, it wasn't like a your parents who you both kind of like on some level sit you down and say we're getting a divorce it was like my dad a combination of leaving and a combination of us kicking him to the curb very unique circumstance um I have terrible memories of the first 11 years like more than any child should ever endure I also have happy memories of the first 11 years um I am now best friends with my mom after he left we had a rough go at coming to terms with just me being a kid for the next four years and my thoughts on her and then me being a tortured adult for the next four years and coming to terms with her. Uh, my grandparents had a large part in raising me. They retired the year I was born and they nannied us basically all day. We weren't in school. Uh, yeah, I don't speak to my father. I never will until the day he dies. So you haven't spoke to him since you were 11? No, he... I didn't speak to him... From that, from when he left until I was 18, and then he contacted me and asked if it would be okay if we tried something. And he's your father, you know. So he, you wanted to make so it. So I, wa- I wanted to try it, and it, and I was I was a different person back then, and I put up with a lot more. So we would do little things like meet for lunch or dinner, or he'd take me shopping for school clothes. He, he still lived in where? where what did Allentown. you grow up in? Allentown? I grew up in Allentown. Okay, okay. He lived like. 45 minutes away. Okay. Every time I was with him, he would just, he was still controlling yeah. and abusive and not a good guy. And it took, so it's a cut. We tried to do that for a little while. And then eventually I just, 
blew up and was like, I forgive you for everything you've ever done to me. I feel terrible. Did you really? Yeah. You were done at that point. I, I forgive you for everything you've ever done to me. I'm not mad at you. I tried to give you a chance so hard that it killed me. I wanted it to work. I don't, I'm not saying you're not a good person, but having you in my life is worse for me than having you not in my life. This must suck to hear a daughter say to you, I'm really sorry that you no longer get to have a relationship with your daughter. You were an adult when I was born. You don't have any excuse. Right. I don't care. Um, I'm so sorry, but I'm never going to speak to you again for the rest of my life. And his wife was there and I left his house and I drove away and I've not talked to him since and I never will. That must have been hard. Yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. And then there's so many little things you don't think about that happened in the years to come. Like I had to block his number for a while and then I had to deal with, a little while ago I had to deal with him finding me on social media. Can can he follow you on things? Well, he can't, anyone can Google your Twitter and read it. Yeah. It's not like a Facebook, he doesn't, so he, he read my Twitter. Okay. And I... I found someone and was like, can you, I'm not going to talk to him. I really meant that. Can you, can someone please contact him and tell him that I live in Los Angeles? I'm a writer. I'm a comedian. And the things I say are jokes. I'm not in trouble. I'm the happiest I've ever wait, wait, been. Wait, who did you say this to? My sister. Okay, I, told, okay. I asked my sister to contact yeah. him. Um, she emailed him. She lives in another country. She emailed him. And was, I was like, because I was like, I mean, yeah, I don't know if he's mad. I don't know if he's worried, but tell him that like these are jokes and that I'm yeah. the happiest I've ever right, been. Right. And I hope he, I hope he got that message, but I'm never going to talk to him about it because I, they're, they're jokes. And if he's really worried about me, it's like, yeah. where were you right, for right, 27 right, right. years? And if he's not really worried about me and he's just mad, because sometimes I write tweets about, I think what he, the, the unfortunate thing is, I mean, I would never want to hurt the man. I don't, I wouldn't hurt someone that I wouldn't hurt my worst enemy, you know, but he apparently found my Twitter in the worst week. It was a week that was a great week. So I was being super creative and super right. putting it out there. Right. Yeah. He saw it in like a really bad time when yeah. I was like writing stuff. It sounded like I was having a nervous breakdown. I, I had a similar situation with my mom actually. Yeah. I was down in Atlanta and, uh, yeah, I just was just being silly. And yeah. when, I, when I, when I get silly, I tweet, Silly thing. Stuff and, and have a character that, yeah. that acts like that. And, and like, she calls me crying the next morning after I had had a, a night of it. And she's like, I'm just really worried about you. And I just don't know what you're doing down there. And you're just... <laughs> I'm like, none of that was real. The funniest thing in the world is my mom has been my biggest supporter since I moved out here. She reads every single tweet. She gives me feedback. And, like, if she thinks something's inappropriate, like, she's never said anything about my Twitter. One time I posted something to Facebook. She was like, please don't do that. And I was like, okay, valid. She, like, and she did it by sending me a text message from, a like, about a Facebook post that used the cadence I use and the formats of tweets that I use. And the text <laughs> message was in that format. Nice. And that's how she got to me. Right, and I was right, like, right. I respect that yeah. so much. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, my, my mom, everyone gets it. I think everyone gets it. So your mom's cool, your dad sucks. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the moral of the story. That's the moral of the story. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to talk about that, uh, that I missed, uh, you know, within what you have going on in your, in your life? I feel like that's, that's, that's the nutshell of all the important stuff. Okay. All right, then let's close up shop. This has been Stephanie Mickus. Is that how you say your last name? 
It's okay, so it's Micus. Micus. But I have a Fuck bit. Me. No, no, no. But I'm brought up on stage every single time as Micus, so I have a bit about how it was, it's M I C K. I know, and it's smickable. I know. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I have a bit about how it's my fault that the MC mispronounced it because I never introduced myself because I'd rather eat a knife than introduce myself to a new person. Got Works it. out really well. I thought about literally changing my name to Micus. <laughs> my dad's the only person with that name. My mom changed her name yeah. back, and yeah. like. Your mom changed it back to Mikus. <laughs> she changed it back to her maiden name, yeah. even though she's married again. Yeah. And, like, my sister wanted to change it. I don't think she ever did, but she lives in another country, and they only speak Spanish. And it's a mysterious other So country. it doesn't Where matter. She lives in Costa Rica. Okay. Uh-huh. So they don't speak English there, and th- no one says Mik. It's not a big deal. So it's only a big deal to me. I've been here with Stephanie Mikus <laughs> <laughs> at Sean Coppola's house in Los Angeles, California. We're signing off. (laughs) Bye, guys. All right. About a third through this tour. It's going well so far. You know, we did the Florida stuff. We did North Carolina. It's, it's, It's great. We've met some great people. We're coming through Texas after this and then up north toward Minnesota. I can't even name all the places. But, uh, you know, look it up. If you're interested in coming to see why my band um, in the next couple of weeks, we might be coming through your town. Follow me on, uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter now, at Yoni Wolf, or y- you can find me now. I have a page on Facebook. I had to do that because I, I had so many friend requests and I felt bad. And so uh, uh, I said, oh, well, uh, let me just create uh, a celebrity profile, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, make it official. Holy smokes. I do have an email as well. The Wandering Wolf Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me there. You can ask sensitive private things. Uh, we can go in depth there, unlike, you know, Twitter or, or, or the uh, other public realms. Well, you guys, I'm going to go out and, and uh, check out the streets of the French Quarter. See if I can't get some pussy. No, I'm just kidding. I would never. But uh, I am going to look at some of those street corner bands, see what they have to offer. I think I'll play one uh, on this podcast. Maybe in the beginning we'll have played some street people. Not street people like homeless people, but street people like street performers. Uh, And, you know, maybe I should drop a dollar in that guitar case because... I feel like that is more justified than giving the dollar to the refrigerator guy who's just doing his job. The guy on the street corner is sort of going above and beyond and really putting his heart into something, right? Hotel people, you got to let me know. You got to let me know. If I'm fucking up, I'm not, a, I'm not a chintzy cheapskate guy. I'm Jewish, okay? But that stereotype definitely does not apply here. I always tipped like 22-23% at restaurants when I used to eat at restaurants. And uh, I just don't know the etiquette when it comes to three-star hotels. We're not talking fancy and we're not talking motel. Let me know. All right, you guys, have a great day, night, whenever it is when you're hearing this. And above all, of course, as let's say it together, keep wandering.
outro actually sounds more like an outro. I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> or something like that. So I've actually, I've spent a lot of the last month pretty depressed. Um, my friends, some of you who are here, have been kind of worried about me. Um, they say, Stephanie, you know, you got to get over it. You got to get out of the house. You got to feel better. Please do something with us. And it's really annoying. Um, but it's okay because I, I figured out, I solved the problem. You know, I just say, guys, I know. And I'm okay. And um, I'm moving on. And I'm, you know, going to restart my life. And I'm going back to the drawing board. What they don't know is that I've just named my bed the drawing board. LAUGHTER